Well, obviously, we are not in 1 John like we have been in the past two weeks. We're back in Mark. And so uh, we've coordinated and tried to, tried to time this fall series with going back to school. And so the kids started school this week. And we launch our fall uh, series, sermon series back in the book of Mark. So if you remember in the spring, and that was a while ago, a lot's happened since then. So we're going to do a little bit of a recap, just what happens in these first four chapters of Mark, and, and then kind of set us uh, back in that setting to remember, okay, what's Mark driving at here? What are some of the themes that, that he's been uh, really pressing into before we get to this scene of Jesus calming the storm? And our our sermon series is titled On the Road with Jesus. Um, it's just this idea that, hey, we want to look and see what Jesus said and what Jesus did that would, that would draw us to Him. And if all of Scripture points to what Jesus said and what Jesus did, then we need to know all of that information. And thankfully, we've got it recorded by four different people called the Gospels, the Good News, these narratives of Jesus' life on earth, of His death, of His burial, and of His resurrection. And so Mark is unlike uh, the, the other three in that he just jumps right into the story. If you guys remember, it, it was pretty fast-paced. We, we even referenced like it, it's a little bit by, like Netflix. It's very episodic, um, and it jumps out at you. And so we're remembering some of that this morning. I don't even... Okay, good. I did start what I needed to start here. Um, But remember that the first thing that it talked about was John the Baptist. And so Mark introduces us to John the Baptist who is foretold by Scripture that one would come that would prepare the way of the king. And then Jesus comes and he's baptized by John the Baptist. And in that moment, the, the heavens open, right? And there's this voice from heaven that says... This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So right out of the gate, Mark is establishing, listen, there's something about this Jesus that's different. The skies opened up and a voice from heaven said, this is my son. Mark is making this proclamation, this Jesus that we're going to talk about. He's a man, yes, but he's also God himself. He is the son of God. And so Mark jumps right in. And then we see what Jesus does out of that. We see that Jesus interacts with the people that He's been called to to comfort and to redeem and to save. And He does that both in what we know will ultimately be the cross, but He also does that in the midst of their suffering. He comes and He meets them in that place. But Jesus is not coming for those singular things. He's coming for an eternal thing. He's coming to establish the kingdom. Mark 1.15 was this verse that really set the tone for what, Mark is, for what Jesus is saying through Mark. He says in Mark 1.15, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Listen, that's pretty radical in that moment. That, that God's kingdom, the kingdom that they have longed for, the Messiah that would come and would establish, would fix the things that are broken, He has come. And Jesus says, I am that person. I'm coming to establish that kingdom, the kingdom of God. And what does the kingdom of God look like? 
The kingdom of God looks like the sick being healed. It looks like the broken and the maimed being restored. It looks like the leper who was outcast and was declared unclean, being touched by Jesus, and then in that moment being declared clean. Not just outwardly, but inwardly. Remember, Jesus says that your sins are forgiven. Listen, that reality is what Jesus is coming to establish. Not only that, but He references Scripture and He speaks to all of the law. And He says that He's come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. But the law had become something other than what God established it to be. It had become this works-based self-righteousness. And He comes and says, no, the law was meant to draw you to know God. And you have made it into this thing so that you can stand before people and say, no, I'm, I'm righteous, I'm clean. But the reality is that none of us follow the law completely. And so Jesus is the one who is coming to fulfill that law, to walk perfect righteousness in accordance with the law. And then at the cross, to be the substitute for us to pay for our sin and death and give us His righteousness so that now we can walk in it. And so Jesus is, is pointing to that truth consistently throughout these first four chapters. It's a simple teaching that He does, but even the scribes and the Pharisees, the ones that have been scouring the law and and devoting their whole lives to understanding it, are blown away that this carpenter from Nazareth, a place that nothing good comes from, comes and He knows what He's talking about. And they're in awe of that. But then what does Jesus do? He doesn't just uh, turn, up, turn over their education system and, and flip it upside down, but He, he comes and he, he wrecks societal norms. Like those that were outcasts, He now brings in. These fishermen that, that all they knew how to do was fish, He goes and He calls them by name and He says, come follow Me and I will make you fishers of men. He goes to Levi, a tax collector, who everyone hates. Because the Jews hate him because they feel like they've sold him out. And the Romans hate him because he's Jewish. And he has nobody. And yet Jesus goes to him and he says, you, come follow me. You'll be my disciple. And so he goes and he has a meal with Levi and his friends. And then the Pharisees and their self-righteousness say, who is this? That eats and dines with sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician. In Mark 2.17, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Listen, this is the Jesus that we're going to see today in the boat with the disciples. And they have witnessed all of these things. And yet they forgot. Which is good news for us because we forget, right? And so Jesus' patience with the disciples in the midst of their forgetfulness is the same patience that He has with us as He continues to draw us, continues to patiently work belief and trust and hope in us. And then we, as that hope and trust has worked in our lives, begin to tell other people because it's the most exciting thing we have going for us. And so let's look this morning at this Jesus. And, and so I'm just going to pray. Um, God, we pray the same prayer that we pray anytime we come to Your Word. God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. God, that means that You're going to have to tear away the distractions that would want to 
want to draw us from truth. God, we need eyes to see because our eyes are tainted. Our eyes see only what we want to see in our sinfulness and selfishness. And yet, You give us eyes to see and behold who You are. Your glory. So Lord, would You do that today in us? Would You give us the gift of faith, the gift of belief, that even as we read this, and it seems, it's, it seems unbelievable, God, will we believe today? We know that we can only do that by the power of your Spirit working within us. So we ask that your Spirit would do that. We thank you for the gift of your Word. We thank you that you have given us everything that we need to walk in righteousness and godliness. And so we pray that we would do that out of a devotion and a love for you. Out of a trust and a faith in you. Would you do that today? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to jump right in. Um, it says on that day, well, if you go back and you start looking for when that day began, uh, you have to go back through a couple sections to figure out, hey, this has been like a long day for Jesus. He's, he's taught in parables. It looks like there's not a break between when he went and healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law and when, he, when the crowds pressed in and he had to go out in the boat. And so he teaches from the boat. And he teaches through the parables, and then he even explains to the disciples what the parables mean. So like all of this has happened, and it says, on that day, in the evening, towards the end of that very long day, and what we're going to see in these first couple verses is like the humanity of Jesus. Even as we talked about last two weeks in 1 John, like we need to know that Jesus was fully human and fully God. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that He's exhausted, and then we're going to see that He is the Lord over the storm that can, by His Word, still it. And so Mark is just painting this picture of Jesus' humanity for us. On that day, when evening had come, He said to them, let us go across to the other side. His hope is that on the other side there would be a reprieve from some of the crowd and some of the ministry to rest. He's tired. He's exhausted. But even in going across to the other side, we see that there is, uh, they follow him. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. So like they're still following him. He's, he's tired. He's weary from doing so many good things. From doing all of the things that God had called him to. So listen, today, I, just, let's pause there. Today, if you're tired and weary, you're in a good spot. You're in the same spot that, that Jesus, our Savior, that we long to emulate and model, He went through those same things. And so, your weariness may not be because you're doing the wrong things. Your weariness may be just because that is humanity. That's what it's like to be human. You get tired. But just as Jesus is modeling for us, we need rest too. So, so let's take that and put that into practice. Like, how do we rest? How do we get away? How do we do the things that we need to do and then get rejuvenated and go back in with that same passion and that same spirit? There's, there's Sabbath rest. There's rest in, in who Jesus is and what He's done for us. And then there's physical rest that we need too. So we, we want to model that even as Jesus is modeling it. One of the things that you see in here that's, that's unique to Mark, um, because this same passage is recorded, or the same story is recorded in 
uh, Matthew and Luke is that Mark, unlike a lot of his other stories, is more detailed than the other authors. Some people, some commentators and some scholars point to the fact that, remember, if you remember when we launched this introduction of Mark in February, the idea that Mark, John Mark, is traveling with Peter. And he's recording all of the things that Peter remembers and he's writing them down. And so Mark really might be Peter's first-hand account to us. And so Peter is remembering all of the details of this story. Not just the fact that it happened on a boat or during, on a certain day, but he says it was in the evening, actually. And I remember because we were on the boat and there were other boats that were following us and Jesus is trying to get away and these other boats are coming and, and so I remember it. And I remember the storm that rises up, as we see in verse 37. It said, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Listen, um, I love the way that God has already orchestrated our time this morning. Chris and I didn't talk a lot about what we are uh, going to share this morning, but him sharing out of Job and recognizing God's awesome power aligns beautifully with this story because in this story we see the power of God. And the power of God is both in the windstorm and in the waves that rise up, but it's also in Jesus who speaks, peace be still. A great windstorm arose. Listen, if you know... Uh, Anything about the Sea of Galilee, which I'm learning a lot about as I walk through the book of Mark, it's way below sea level, like almost 700 feet below sea level. But then surrounding it are mountains and, and, and different things that happen. Uh, north of that is Mount Hermon, which is 9,000 feet tall, over 9,000 feet tall. And so because of this undulating topography, right, the, the rise and fall of the, the geographic area, you get these crazy storms in the Sea of Galilee. They will come in, and they're almost predictable, but then they're also uh, sporadic enough. But the, these fishermen learn to look for those storms. And they know that, dude, that storm can wreck you. It's really dangerous to be caught out at sea in the midst of that storm. And that's what happens. They go out to sea, and in the midst of it, this great windstorm rises up, and the waves are, are rising up and they're flowing over the boat. Listen, the reality of the storm. We don't want to just ignore the reality of the storm that's going on. These disciples see it and they, they're as trained as you can be in navigating that storm. They're fishermen. This is what they are, are trained and qualified to do is to navigate through this storm. And yet this storm is so powerful so strong that they begin to get scared. And in their fear, thankfully, they know where to go. And they go to Jesus. But these storms are, are legit. They're real. The, the rising water is going to swamp them. The waves are going to rip the sails, or the wind is going to rip the sails apart. And they're going to be stuck out at sea unless something else happens. And so let's see what they do. Verse 38, But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
A, how is Jesus sleeping in the midst of all this? Like, if he's truly human, you wonder, how does he sleep in the midst of this? And then I remember Landon, who in our house can sleep in the midst of all my kids going crazy. So it's possible. It's possible that Jesus slept through all of this and he's just oblivious. But it's also more likely that Jesus knows who controls the storm. Who created the storm? Jesus knows that His work is not done, and so He knows that He won't be called home until His work is complete. And so He's resting, and He's trusting. Jesus is asleep in the stern. And they come to Him, and what do they say? Look carefully. It says, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I think that's uh, worth us pressing into this morning. The question is not, are you powerful enough? Couldn't you do something about this? Listen, they've seen Jesus interact. They've seen Him heal. They've seen Him save. They've seen Him declare people's sins forgiven. They believe, they're beginning to believe, that He is God. And so their question isn't, are you powerful enough to do something about this? Their question actually goes to the heart and says, do you even care? As we have experienced Christ and as we walk by faith this Christian life, we often come to Jesus in the midst of the storm that feels like everything's falling down around us And we know that He could do something about it because we've seen Him do things about it. We've seen Him heal loved ones. We've seen Him restore marriages. We've seen Him um, supply needs, jobs, and finances. And so we know that God can do it. We just have the question, do you care? Because if you cared, we would not be in the middle of this. But that's a false statement that the disciples would would have in their heads. Because Jesus does care. Actually, Jesus cares so much that He's in the midst of the storm with them. He didn't ditch them and leave. He's with them. And so they have the Savior, the Son of God, the One who controls the storm with them. But their question, like our question so often, is, God, do you care? I know you said that. I know that they're remembering. I know that you said that to the Pharisees. I know that you said that to uh, the people that you would heal, that you care and that you love them. But God, do you care for me? Because I feel like if you cared, none of these things would be happening. Yet God is using the storm to bring them to a place of feeling out of control. Listen, we cannot control that storm. Humanity has found ways to control so many things. We can get water from from the source thousands of miles to where there is no water. We've created uh, electricity and been able to power different things. We've been able to discover healing uh, methods that would make us well in our bodies. We've come up with all these different ideas. We can build the skyscrapers and and we have a lot of things that we can control. 
And yet when you're faced with the power of the wind and the rain and the storms and the waves coming over, you recognize, I am not in control. I don't, I can't fix this. I can't change the circumstances, but God, you can. And so, thankfully, the disciples go to Jesus. And while the motives that they have may be maybe something that God is working through them to build faith and trust, they're still struggling. And they come and they ask the question that is on all of our hearts, God, do you even care? We're dying here. We're perishing. We're going to drown. Do you care? But we need to remember that as each one of these little episodes is really speaking to a unique situation, there's a greater story that's being told. There's a kingdom that's being established that we don't know about, that we can't see with our eyes. But God is doing a work to save us from our perishing. He does care. How do we know that He cares? Because He cared enough to leave the throne of heaven, to come to earth, to be born as a man fully human to walk perfect righteousness. And where did that righteousness take him to? It takes him to the cross. Listen, the crux of our question, the crux of our unbelief that we've talked about quite a few times is I, I usually believe one of, in my unbelief I'm believing one of two things. I'm believing either that God is not there or that He does not care. The disciples know that God is there. They see Jesus in the back of the boat. They've heard the the word from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. They've seen his works, miraculous works, and say they know that this is God. But does he care? I think it's interesting that that when we use that word crux, like the the meaning, what's, what's the foundation, the crux of our unbelief is those two questions. Well, the crux of belief, the crux of what Jesus has done is actually, crux is Latin for cross. Jesus went to the cross. That is the foundation of our belief. That's what brings us to this place where I can be in the midst of the storm and I can say, even if I were to perish here, I will not perish eternally because of what Christ has done for me. Jesus has the larger story in mind. He knows the the will of the Father and what the Father is doing and how He has ordained all of these things to happen so that He would go to the cross so that we would not perish. That's how much He cares. So when we doubt, we need to remember, God, but Your Word says that You went to the cross and You paid a penalty for me. For those who would believe Sinners though we are, you took our sin and our shame and you bore it on the cross. And your blood was poured out that we might be cleansed. That we might be made whole. And that great exchange that happens at the cross, you take our sin and our shame and you give us your righteousness to walk in. And so, we believe that. And we're going to forget and we're going to come back to Him tomorrow and say, do you even care? And He's going to be patient and kind just like He is with the disciples. And He's going to walk us through it and He's going to remind us, I am present with you. I'm here. And not only did He go to the cross, but He rose from the dead and defeated the sin and the death 
the, storm, the greatest storm, the greatest thing that would cause us to perish, He has defeated it. He's taken care of it. And so this morning we see that yes, Jesus cares. He cares so much that He's not... He, he doesn't just care about the thing, the, the circumstance, the moment where they're perishing, but He cares about eternity for them. But what does He do? Verse 39. He awoke. Jesus got up. And He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And what happened? The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Listen. We need to know that Jesus, the One who is all-powerful, has the ability to change the circumstances of our life. He does. And in this case, He actually stands up and He speaks and He stops this, this storm that had made seasoned veterans fear for their lives. That's how real this storm is. And Jesus, in a moment, says, peace be still. And the wind stops. And then it says, and it was calm. And there's no, there's no period of time between those two things. And if we know anything about physics, like we've, we've shaken water and the water, once it, it doesn't just stop. It continues to gyrate and to form and to swirl even when whatever it was that was driving it stops. And so Jesus, the one who is all-powerful and, and has already proven that He is uh, the Son of God by His miraculous healing of bodies, by His overturning the... The, the educational system and the, the, the society that was going on, now He proves that He is in control of even nature itself. He is the God who said to the waves, you can come this far and no further. Right? He's the God that speaks to Job and all of those things that He asked Job if He can do, He did. And Jesus, just like I'm sure that the church that's hearing this is remembering and recalling Genesis 1 where God creates. And how does He create? He creates through His Word. He speaks and it is. Jesus speaks peace and there is peace. Jesus speaks, be still, and everything stops and is silent. I love that we live where we do because we can look and we can hear, man, crashing waves. I've seen that. Like there's been days where I won't get in the water because I will get ripped out the sea. And so we have, we, we have an image, maybe not the image, but an image of what it looks like to have a violent wave and violent wind. And then there's days where you walk to the river and you've never seen anything as calm and as glass as that. And Jesus, by His spoken word, took one thing and turned it into the other immediately. Listen, Jesus is establishing not only His humanity in the story, He's exhausted, He's tired, He's weak in, his, in Himself, but He's establishing His divinity. Listen, only God can control the wind and the waves and nature. And Jesus does it when He stands and says, Peace be still. And so what happens to the disciples? Like, they were scared a minute ago. They were scared 
right before Jesus spoke. That's why they went to Jesus and asked Him to do something about it. And then Jesus speaks. And what, what do they do? Verse 40, He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Man. Like they were scared because they were out of control with the sea and the wind. And now they're scared because they're still out of control, but they know the one who is in control. And that puts in them awe and fear. Listen, I, I think I've, I've tried to downplay this idea that we re- just read in Proverbs in our time there. Proverbs 16.11, sorry, 16.6 says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, in- iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And I've tried to uh, kind of downplay that fear aspect. Like maybe it's just a knowledge of, or maybe it's just a respect for. But, but the disciples in this moment, they have a fear of Jesus. They're, they're like, man, that guy can control the wind and the storm. He is powerful. Now I'm afraid of him because he's proven that he's the most powerful thing going on in this, in this world. And I think for us, we need to have this fear of the Lord. God, you are mighty. You are powerful. You are strong. You cause all things to work together. And we come, and, and I used to, growing up, I had this t-shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. And uh, I had a lot of people that came up to me and said, I don't know if you fully understand who Jesus is. And they were probably right, because I, I just came to him as friend. But, but, and that is one way that we come to Jesus. That's a true way that we come to Jesus. But we also better come to him as the one who is powerful and in control of the wind and the waves and the storm. The one who speaks and things happen. We need to have this full picture of who Jesus is, both His humanity and His divinity. And what is the accusation that Jesus makes to the disciples? Why are you afraid? You have no faith. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? This is our call today. Like, what are we walking in fear of What are we not believing in faith for? Do we not know that we have everything that we need in Jesus and yet our lives, we quake in fear. Even the ways that we come to Jesus show that we have a fear that's greater than our fear of the Lord. And yet He's patient and kind with us and He walks us and He's growing that trust and that faith in us. This morning, the call is to repent and believe. You see, faith and trust in God should be evident in the way that we live, both in the storm and in the calm. It should play out not only in what we proclaim, but how we respond. If I truly believe all of the things that Jesus has said, that I am an ambassador of Christ, then I'm going to respond in ways that would say that I trust in the One who speaks and things happen. But I haven't. And so we come to a place of repentance because just as we know the fullness of the story, Jesus went to the cross to pay for my unbelief. To give me belief that He is 
He is who he says he is, and he's doing what he says he's doing, and he has done it all, and I can trust and hope in him. This morning, what do you need to turn from today as you turn to Jesus? Have you been trying to control the storm? I think that's my tendency. Maybe it's yours. But I I tend to try to fix this and control the storm and figure out how I'm going to make it work. Is it bitterness that you have held on to toward those who have not cared, right? Those in your life that you say, do you even care? And their, their actions and their words say they don't care. But then we go a little further and we project that onto God. We believe that He doesn't care. Has a storm caused you, like the disciples, to accuse Jesus of not caring? Or maybe it's just as simple as the storm's captured your attention and you can't even see the Savior in the boat. Like the storm is so big and so powerful that I'm not even looking at anything else because I'm scared for my life. We have to repent of those things. Those things are wrong. They're they're not what we're called to do. And so what are we called to do? We turn from those things and we run to the Savior. We run to Jesus, and it can even be the question of God, do you even care? That's enough. Trusting that God does care, and that He is powerful enough, that He is there. What are we believing today? Do we believe that Jesus cares? This is our call to all of us today. We call each other to repent and to turn from whatever other things we are trusting in and to turn to the Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who cares for us. Amen? Amen. God, we thank You. God, we thank You that You are in control. Lord, we thank You that knowing that You're in control, that whatever storm we're in, it's actually been ordained by You. You've allowed it to happen. God, and you allow these things to happen so that we would lean not on our own understanding, but we would fear you. We would love you. We would trust you. Our hope would be in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that by your, by your word, you speak power. God, may we trust that to be true. God, we thank You that even in the midst of our perishing, You cared so much that You did something about it. You came to earth. You you lived perfect life. You died a sinner's death on our behalf. You rose from the dead. God, You ascended into heaven and You reign with the Father on high, continuing to speak. God, and we just pray that our hope would be in that, that truth of the Gospel, that we would look to our Savior rather than looking at all the things around us, Lord, that we would love you and trust you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength because that's what you've called us to do. We thank you that you're doing that. We thank you that we can pray this prayer with confidence knowing that that is what you're doing. You're raising up a church of believers who trust you and love you. God, you're good and kind. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.